Clashindra Denise Hall was an 18-year-old woman from Pine Bluff, Arkansas. She was ranked at the top of her high school class and was to take part in an internship in Boston after graduation. On May 9, 1994, her mother, Laurel, dropped her off at work right around the corner from their home. Clea completed her work by 8.30, then allegedly left. She was never seen again. I'm Ed Denzel, and this is Unfound. Best laid plans. You've heard those words. They're usually followed by ellipses, you know, those three periods with a space in between them. The actual complete saying is the best laid plans of mice and men often go awry. It comes from an old Scottish poem called To a Mouse by Robert Burns. Every person knows that feeling, right? We save for a vacation, then the air conditioning in our house dies. We get on a great exercise plan, then we sprain our ankle. We move to Florida for the weather to then have a hurricane rumble through destroying our new home. Life gets in the way of what we want to happen. This sentiment is what came to mind as I learned about the disappearance of Clashindra Hall. Her parents did everything right, as did she. Her father even checking each of his children's bedrooms before going to bed at night. Her mother drove her to work and just about always picked her up. And Clea did well in school and was planning out her future step by step. Then something happened. Something went awry. And now a summary of the case. This is brought to you by my friend Megan Goodsight, charlieproject.org. At 5 p.m. on May 9th, 1994, Laurel Hall dropped her daughter Clea off at her office job at the house of Dr. Larry Amos, a location less than a mile from the Hall residence. Clea had worked for him as a bookkeeper for about a year, but she was almost at the end of her tenure and she would be leaving for Boston for an internship to start on her path to being a pediatrician. Clea called her mother at 8 p.m. to ask if anyone had called the house for her. She left the impression that she was almost done with work and would call again when she was ready to be picked up. Her mother fell asleep at their residence shortly after the phone call. She woke up at 12.45 a.m. to discover that her daughter wasn't home. Laurel phoned Dr. Amos, and he said Clea had left at approximately 8.30 p.m., just as she always had when a ride arrived. The problem with that statement was that Laurel was the only one who ever picked Clea up. The next day, Clea's parents waited to see if she showed up for school. They were alerted by one of their sons that Clea did not attend and no one had seen her. At that point, Clashindra's parents called the police, but because Clea was 18, the parents needed to wait 24 hours before filing a report. Once the report was filed, the police questioned Dr. Amos, neighbors, friends of Clea's, including a young man who some thought was Clea's boyfriend, although he was not. None of them could offer much helpful information. However, it should be noted that Dr. Amos refused to take a polygraph and did not show much sympathy regarding Clea's disappearance. In March 2012, police performed a search in the Amos home. They confiscated insulation and drywall. 
all of it tested negative for blood or any evidence of a crime. Police and Clea's parents do not believe Clea left of her own accord. Her case remains unsolved. The interview is with Clashindra's mother, Laurel Hall. Unfound News. I hope all of you enjoyed the interview I conducted with Nate Hale from the Conspirators Podcast. I also hope you got to listen to his show where he interviewed me. It was a little weird being on the other side of the microphone for once. I thank Nate for being on this program, and I thank him for allowing me to be on his. Please check out The Conspirators and give it a five-star review on iTunes. I need all of my listeners in the Dallas area to be on the lookout for Claudia Wells. Lots of sightings and rumors regarding her presence there. I've been in contact with Robin, her daughter, a recent guest on Unfound, and she is convinced the news she is getting is real. So please, if you see Claudia, get a picture and send it to Robin so she can have solid proof. If you could alert the police, that would be helpful as well. And finally, only a few days away, May 9th, 6 p.m., the Madeira Beach Library, the Unfound Amateur Sleuth Meetup, that's what I'm going to call it, is happening. If you live in the area, I'd love to see you there. Where you can find Unfound, on Twitter, at Unfound Podcast, on Facebook, the Unfound Podcast Discussion Group, we're almost to 300 members, you can go there, you can talk to other listeners, you can talk to guests on the show, and if you'd like, you can talk to me as well. You can find this show on Instagram, at Unfound Podcast. The email address, unfoundpodcast at gmail.com. You can subscribe to Unfound at Podomatic and iTunes, and please keep those five-star reviews coming. I deeply appreciate them. And please mention Unfound at all true crime locations, including WebSluice, Reddit, podcasts we listen to, and all other websites and forums. I'm very happy to have on this episode of Unfound, Laurel Hall, mother of Clashindra Hall. Laurel, welcome to Unfound. Thank you, Edward, for having me. You're welcome. Laurel, tell the listeners a little bit about Cleo, what you remember about her, some of your memories uh, of your daughter. Well, she was kind of quirky. Um, She liked to read, um, liked to play with somebody's children, and I think that's the reason that she had a goal of being a pediatrician. She played in the band at school, sang in the choir at school and at church, and um, just kind of hung out with her brothers. And church was a big part of, is part big part of your life and her faith and, and your daughter's uh, faith as well. What can you tell the listeners about that? Um, well, she has been, or as all of our children raised in the church, as I have, and it was actually, or has been our faith in God that has continued to keep my family um, sane for these 23 years. And she was active in the church, working with the kids, working in the daycare um, at church. And she was a very good student as well, wasn't she? She was a good student. Um, we just had an expectation 
uh, of our children and um, in order for them to reach some of the goals that um, they had, they realized that they would need to be um, good students, you know, and have a good education. And you mentioned you have other children. How many other children do you have besides Clea? I have three sons, one that was older than she and two that are younger. Wow, she was the only girl, huh? The only girl. Wow, how did she handle that? Um, she could handle her brothers. <laughs> no okay. Problem. Okay. Yeah. All right, good. So the, the listeners should know that a, a huge amount of this conversation is going to center around uh, this job that she had that happened to be right around the corner uh, from where you lived. And what can you tell the listeners about how Clea got that job? What did you know about Larry Amos beforehand? Tell the listeners uh, a little bit about that and how that all came about. Well, Clea had a friend that was working for Larry Amos, and she had told Clea that she was getting another job, and she was trying to find a replacement for um, for herself. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so her, Clea asked her dad if she could work for Larry Amos. And I think he had just asked a couple of people, you know, if they knew anything about him, and nobody really said anything um, that was negative. So we figured since it was close to home, uh, it didn't interfere with her after school or church activities that she could work at that job. Had you ever heard of Larry Amos's name before? He, I mean, he lived about, what, three-quarters of a mile away, something like that. He, had you ever heard his name before her, her finding out about this job? You know, I can't recall if I've heard his, if I had heard his name um, before, but... Mm -hmm. I just figured that since she was, you know, I'm thinking since it was a job that was close to home and my husband had inquired to a few people and they didn't have anything really to say, that it would be a safe job. And what what kind of business was Larry Amison and what did uh, Clea do for him? How many hours were involved? He had a grant-funded program um, where he provided food for people who had daycares. And so Clea did clerical work for him there in that she did kept tallies of the different schools and the number of students that they had. And uh, she wrote checks that were issued to the um, providers for the food. And if he dictated letters or something, she did the letters and did the mailings and stuff like that. And what would you say, was that like maybe 20 hours a week or 15 hours a week? I mean, how well did she get to know her boss over, I guess it was about a, how, about a year that she worked from? How long did she, how well did she get to know him, do you think? It was about a year. She worked probably, it just depends on like when they did the, the stuff, the, got the lists and things in to be able to distribute food in the month. She may have worked a total of 20 hours for the month, maybe, sometimes 30. 
for the whole month. Now we come up to May 9th, 1994. I'm sure that's a day that you're going to remember for the rest of your life. What can you tell the listeners what you remember about that day and, and Clea going to school and, and what went on that day? On May 9th, 1994, that is a day that I, I remember because I keep playing it over and over in my head. The kids got up for school just like normal, got ready, got dressed, and um, one of my, my youngest son would catch the bus at our driveway, and then um, Clea and her middle brother, um, I dropped them off at school because my older son was at college. And that afternoon, um, I picked her up at 2.30 because in the afternoons, if a senior had a job, they could get out of school early. And so she had told me that she was going to be going to work early that day because she was trying to um, make more money so that she could go to a um, to Boston during the summer for the internship because she wanted to be a pediatrician. And so when I picked her up, we went by the home office of Larry Amos, but there was no one there. So we came home. Clear laid down on the couch to take a nap. And so about 4.45 or a little bit before 5, Miss Amos called and told me that she was at home and Clear could come over. So Clear just got up off the couch when I woke her up and wiped the sleep out of her eye and got in the van. She didn't have anything with her, no purse, no ID, no money, nothing. She just got up. And I had to drop my or take my son to practice at 5 o'clock. And so um, I probably was rushing her a little bit, you know, to get up so I could drop her off. And so I watched her walk in. When she got out, I waited until she went inside, and then I left. And that was the last time that I saw her. If I, if I could ask you a couple questions just about that first part. Was that unusual for uh, her to go uh, early to work? Like you said, like 2.15 right after school. Would you say that was something unusual? And also, was she surprised? Do you remember her being surprised when, she, when you two got over there and nobody was home? Um, that is unusual because normally she's in school. And so this particular day, well, she got it at 2.30 because she was a senior two weeks from graduating. So she had planned on working, and so she got out early. And it was a surprise when we went there. Nobody was there because I'm assuming that she had okayed it with um, – Larry Amos, to come early that day. And when the wife called, she said that she had bus duty and she was late. So that's why she wasn't there because she was a school teacher. I see. So you did eventually get some explanation as to why when you went out, when she went over there after school, nobody was there. Yes, when the, when the wife called... I just remembered that she told me that she could, she was late because I think I must have asked her because I know I have not had a conversation with her since that time. So um, if I recall, that's what she told me when she called. Okay. So you drop her off. Things are seem like a regular day. 
you have to dr- you drop your son off at his practice. Then what happens later that evening? You're expecting Clea to call you, but what happens? Well, after after we got home and my son got home from practice and um they were just hanging out and I was reading a book. And about eight between eight and eight fifteen she called and my son and I pick up the extensions and she said, Anybody call? And my son said, No. She said, Okay, bye which that wasn't unusual because that was before the time of cell phones and um things like that. We didn't have that. And so while I was reading, I fell asleep. And so my husband came in about 12.45 or so, and he had a habit of looking in everybody's room to make sure that everybody was all tucked in and where they needed to be. And so he came in and woke me up and said, is Clea still at work? And I hopped up and I went to look in her room, not thinking that, you know, he's already checked, but I'm like, she's not here. You know, I guess she's still at work. So I went to uh, the telephone, and I had to get the phone book because I didn't even re- remember the number by heart. So I looked at the phone number to the office, and I dialed the number, and he answered the phone on the first ring. And I said, is Clea still there? And he said, no, she's not. And I'm like, well, what time did she leave? Who picked her up? And he said, well, um, I don't know who picked her up. Um, she just looked out the window like she always does and her right and left out, and I heard the door close. And I'm like, what time did she leave? And he said, I think she left at 830, but hold on, let me check her time sheet. And he said, yes, she left at 830. And again, I said, who did she leave with? Because she knew that I was going to pick her up. And he just said he didn't know. So he didn't see, he just, uh, the, the process, I guess, was that this office is in his house, and when she left, she usually left, how you explain that to Alicia, she left through the garage, or the car garage, I guess. Yes, usually when um, she would leave, I didn't want to blow the horn and disturb his family, so she would look out of the kitchen window, and then she would come out of the garage and push the button you know, and come out before it closed. So she would push the button for it to close. Mm-hmm. And so that was the usual. And that's what uh, Larry Amos said happened that evening when she left. He didn't look out the window to see who picked her up. He said all he knew was she was here one second. He heard the, the garage door go up or go down, and she was she was gone. And he just took for granted that it was you, I guess, that picked her up because the, you're the person who uh, – usually picked her up did you find it um looking back at it now and we'll get into a little bit of course a little bit more detail going back to that night when you called at twelve forty-five, that he picked up on the first ring in the office yeah that was strange to me because he said she left at 8 30 and i'm thinking he's still up working at twelve forty-five because in his i don't know subsequent statements that he he made um, he said that he had went to another room to watch the news, so I wouldn't have had expected him to pick up the office phone on the first ring. And then another thing that was um, strange was that, well, he said that she left at 8.30. He didn't see who she left with, but he told us that 
she looked out the window two or three times like she always does, and then her ride picked her up. So, and then another story was that she left with a peach pop in her hand that his wife had given her. But according to him, in one of his statements, he didn't see her leave. He just heard the door close and the garage go down. Okay, so he has a couple stories that maybe contradict each other, and we'll get back to him in a moment. But you, uh, so he tells you that she got picked up somebody by somebody. Obviously, it wasn't you. It wasn't your husband. wasn't anybody you knew of. What did you end up doing next that night, that end of the morning? Well, that night I stayed up the rest of the night because, like any mother, I'm thinking, uh, you know, really, okay, she has hasn't stayed out like this before, but maybe she's deciding that she's going to be a little independent now with two weeks before graduation. So I stayed up all night, you know, watching outside the window to see, you know, when she came, because I'm thinking, you're in trouble, which our form of trouble would have been some type of punishment. But I'm thinking, you know, she's in trouble because she stayed out all night and called anybody so i'm just waiting and so the morning came around though and she obviously did not come home uh, there weren't any phone calls or mysterious phone calls to your house or anything did you try to maybe i know it would have been like one in the morning or something did you try calling any of her friends at that time to find out if she was out with one of them anything like that or you just kind of kind of just sat tight and waited for morning to come around I just waited for morning because I wouldn't have known who to call because it wasn't like her to stay out. And I, and because I, the last place that I saw her was work, I wouldn't have even known where to start. So I just waited until the next morning. And when my sons got up the next morning to get ready for school, it's like, Clea's not here. I'm like, Clea didn't come home. I don't know where she is. So my middle son, who was in the 10th grade at that time, was in band with Clea. So he said, when I get to school, I'll see if she's at school. And so he called me from school, and he said, she's not here. But the seniors have gone to the elementary school to play. So at lunchtime, I'll see if she is at school, and I'll call you. So at lunchtime, he called me, and he said, she wasn't with the band. So at that time, I called the police because I'm thinking she hadn't she's hadn't come home. It's not like her to stay out all night. She doesn't have anything with her, no personal ID, no clothing, nothing. So something's not right. All right, and just to be clear, when she went to work, she didn't. She had a purse. She had some other things, but she didn't take those with her. She just didn't. Like I said, this disappearance is in 1994. If it was 2017, I'm sure she would have had her phone with her. But back then, she just it was just what she was wearing, and that was about it. She showed up for work. Yeah, she didn't have anything. She had a purse, you know, when she went to school. Mm. But when she got ready to go to work, she just didn't take anything. Okay. So she wasn't shopping or anything, so she wouldn't have needed a purse. So what did the police do when you contacted the police? What, what was the process from there, that, that May 10th, 1994? Did they go over to Larry Amos's house? 
Uh, it wasn't quite 24 hours yet, but did they choose to do something anyway? How did that all work out? When I called the police, they said I needed to wait for 24 hours because we were just getting, um, it was just begin the law of not having to wait was just beginning. And so they told us that we had to wait 24 hours. So um, the 24 hours that we had to wait was the time that I dropped her off at, at 5. So at 5 o'clock, my husband and I went down to the police station to do a report. And, of course, the sergeant behind the desk half-heartedly took a report because their mentality was she was a senior and, you know, could come and go, and she probably was just hanging out with friends and would be home. And so um, we gave him the report, but when we came home, we started, uh, my husband made up some flyers, um, just copied a picture and hand wrote missing on the top and, you know, called this number and started um, handing those out and, and posting them up around on the um, telephone poles in the neighborhood. At the time, what did you think happened? Uh like I said, the listeners were going to get a little bit more deeper into this about Larry Amos and everything. But at the time, what were you thinking? Were you thinking that she most likely tried to walk home and something happened? Or did you think that uh, one of her friends might have picked her up instead? Where were you? What In what direction were you leaning at that time? Do you remember? Well, I, did, I didn't know um, exactly what direction to lean because it wasn't like her to walk in. I found out afterwards that my son told me that he had met her uh, one or two times to walk her home, but it wasn't like her necessarily to walk. And there was, oh, I don't, maybe a rare few times that somebody else picked her up. So 99% of the time you were the person who took her to work and you were the person who uh, uh, picked her up from work. Yeah. Okay. And possibly could there have been um, uh, maybe a boy in her life, a friend who she might have arranged to pick her up instead? Is, is there any possibility of that? Once again, at the time, did that occur to you? No. None? No, not at all. Maybe I should ask you also something about the night before, because Clea usually called you to come pick you up, to pick her up, but you said you were sleeping at the time, but you had your other kids, your, a couple of your sons were at home at the time. They never heard your phone ring, did they? Well, we have had and still have a house phone. So um, there's, if she had called, there's no way that I would have not heard it if I had been sleeping. And they were up at probably until 10, so they would have heard the phone ring. So the belief is your belief to this day, almost 23 years, and unfortunately we're quickly coming up on the 23rd anniversary of this on May 9th, unfortunately. Um, your belief is that the phone that night of May 9th around 8.30, it never rang because she never called you. That's your belief? Yes. Okay. When the police went out and started, if they did do anything, did they go talk to any neighbors? Did you talk? Did you go over to Larry Amos's house? Did you talk to any of the neighbors? Possibly, just in case she did start walking home and somebody might have seen her. I mean, what 
you you were out there with the Flyers in the neighborhood. Did you run into a lot of people? I mean, how did you, did you organize some searches? I mean, how did that go? Um, we had some searches um, as let's see, like on Tuesday, oh no, Wednesday of that week. The next day, some of my church members came over and searched the wooded area across from his uh, home, and um, we did speak to some of the neighbors who uh, said they didn't see her walking didn't see any um, unusual vehicles in the neighborhood. So nobody saw her, and it wasn't dark. Is What kind of neighborhood, if I may ask, would this be a safe neighborhood to walk in? I mean, I know that you, Clea, rarely walked home. You just found out about that one time. Did you always pick her up because you had some sort of fear that something might happen walking home, or was that just a routine that you got in got into? Would you be afraid if she called you one of those nights and said, "Hey, mom, don't pick me up tonight. Need a little exercise. I'm going to walk home." Would that have bothered you, given the neighborhood? Not back in 1994. No. Okay. But it was just it was just a habit. My husband and I were, I guess, a little overprotective of our children because back in the early 90s or late 80s, there were some um, children that came up missing in Atlanta, and they were killed. And so we were just probably a little overprotective of our children. Not that she couldn't have walked, because in 1994, in our neighborhood, she could have walked home. All right. I completely understand that. You're being very protective of your children. Nothing wrong with that. Um, Let's talk a little bit about Larry Amos now. You didn't know much about him beforehand, but when did you start maybe hearing some things about him and maybe even maybe a couple things Clea might have said to you while she was working uh, for him that maybe you look back on it, you probably look back on it right maybe a few days after she disappeared and thought, well, maybe that was a little suspicious. What can you tell the listeners what you now know and what you found out over the last 20-some years about Larry Amos? You know, the only thing that we found out about him was that, well, even from her, she said he was cheap because he um, didn't even pay her minimum wage when she was working for him. And, you know, we were thinking, it's just a part-time job, you know, and it was it was something she did around her um, school and church schedule, so you know it's just to get some experience. And um, but after after she disappeared, then you know people start start saying, well, you know he was he was cheap. But people start saying, you know, that he would um, hire them to do um, work on his house, which he's had a lot of renovations done, and. When they got to the end, or almost finished, he would find fault with whatever work they did and not pay them. And so we just got a lot of calls from people like that. And then, you know, I would get calls from people who had daycares that told me that if they were late submitting their list, he wouldn't give them their money for the food. So it was just things like that. And then she wrote checks for him, so... I know that um, she wrote checks for things other than food. 
And, and, and listeners, if they look, if Google his name, you're going to find some news stories about him. That he had a previous business uh, that involved housing. He was, was he keeping one of his sisters in one of these houses or it was something like that, wasn't it? His daughter. His daughter was living yeah. in one of these houses. Yeah. That, was a, that was a subsequent biz, uh, business after she disappeared. Oh, okay. That um, business and um, how we found out about that was that one of the ladies was upset with him because there was something happened with the house that she was living in. And so she was going to take him to court. And so when she took him to court, uh, it resulted in the fact that um, he had his daughter living in one of, one of the houses, which were supposed to be for people on low income. And so he was um, taking this money, and obviously there was something fraudulent and shady going on with that, and it sounds like there might have been something uh, shady going on with this daycare business, this financing for the food of for daycare um, businesses as well. Did Clea ever say anything to you? It, I know she wasn't a, a, a trained accountant. She hadn't gone to school or got her master's in business or anything else. She was a high school senior, but obviously uh, very smart. Did she say a couple things maybe to you while she was working there? Did she ever tell you, you know, I think a couple of things I've seen Mr. Amos doing isn't on the up and up. Did she ever say anything like that to you? Mm, no, she never said anything um, like that, um, other than the fact that she might have wrote some checks for something that wasn't food related. Okay. okay. And uh, and I, I unfor unfortunately have to ask you this question, and being that the last place we know that Clea was at was at Mr. Amos's home at any point while she worked for him did he ever make any sexual advances or anything did she ever say anything to you about any of that any story like that at all she hadn't mentioned anything like that no. um her 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 daddy probably would have done something I'm sure he would have like any good dad would yes and like any good dad would I'm sure he would have but that was never any question there you never worried about her going over there and um, anything like that happened. Obviously not. She had been working there uh, for a year. Um, I know you had mentioned something to me about the the friend or friends who had worked for Mr. Amos um, before Clea did, that they said they quit the job because they were getting another one, but you told me there was something weird about that, that they didn't end up getting another job. Is that right? I don't I don't think they, they got another job. And then when uh, Find Our Missing did her story on TV One, they interviewed her friend Erica, who's the one that got um, her the job. And so Erica told them in her interview that she had worked the night that Cleo was working. And that wasn't true because he's too cute to pay two people to be working and she was clear was replacing her so there was so it was strange that she said that she was there that night and had asked clear if she wanted to ride because she wasn't there 
Any idea why the friend might have said that? I mean, how close of a friend was this to Clea? Did they, were they just in school together, or did they go to the movies together? How close would you say she and this other friend were? Um, they were in school together, and I believe um, Erica was in band with Clea. Um, she rarely went to the movies, you know, or hanging out at the mall because, you know, that's just not something that um, we allowed. Because mm-hmm. if you're not shopping, you don't need to hang out at the mall. Do you, to this day, have you ever had a chance to talk to this Erica and ask her, why did you say in that interview that you were there when you didn't even work there anymore? Have you ever gotten to the bottom of that? No, I, I hadn't talked to Erica um, since before um, that interview. And I just happened to uh, run into her at a church. And, and no, talked to her before then. And still no insight why she would make up something like that. It's very strange. Well, she has been ill. I mean, really ill. And so I was thinking maybe she was just confused about the story, mm-hmm. about what happened. And so I didn't try to confront her with that because I've done a lot of, a few interviews over the years and everything that I, said or somebody says is not always accurate so I just didn't bother with it okay so for the record for the listeners if you see any stories about the disappearance of Clashindra Hall that say that there was another co-worker there with Clea that night all those stories then we know the story on the internet nothing ever dies if you go back to a story that you find maybe from the early 2000s or back in the 1990s that story is wrong Clea was there at the house working for Larry Amos by herself. Were Larry, uh, was Larry Amos's wife there that night? And they had a son. Was he there that night uh, that she was working? Well, according to, usually his wife was there when she worked because she told me that. But that night, um, he his story, another one of his stories, he said that, Clear was on the phone. He noticed her on the phone. So I'm assuming that was when she called home. And when she hung up, he asked her if uh, if she was going to, uh, what time was she going to leave, which, according to him, she was going to leave at 830. And so he said, when she got the phone, and he had that conversation with her, and he told her she needed to take a letter. So he was dictating the letter. After she dictated the letter, she had to rewrite it and then get it ready, make a copy of it, get it ready to mail, and then she was gone at 8.30, which that's a lot of things to do between for 15 minutes. I agree. And I was I was talking about his wife and his son. In the meantime, while she was doing that, the son came in. This is according to Larry Amos. The son came in and wanted to play with Clea because he was four at the time. And he kept coming in there playing, and he's special. And so um, he called his wife to come and get the son. And in the meantime, 
his wife asked Clint if she wanted something to drink, and so she said yes, and she brought her a peach pop. And he said it was unlike her not to drink it, so she just held the pop while she was finishing up her work. But she still got through and left at 8.30. Now, you had a, 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 a kind of a strange story here in our previous conversation about the police once they started looking into this, that a detective went over there and something happened. He said something, and this is kind of what we believe, you believe, and you have me believing it, that maybe put this investigation off, started off maybe on the wrong track. What can you tell the listeners about that? Um, hmm. That was uh, later in the investigation. I don't know how many weeks it was after. Uh, and it was after he had come back from Dallas and the detective, the captain, went over to talk to the neighbor. The neighbor is a renter of his. And so when he went to talk to the neighbor, Larry Amos came outside. And so he just kind of jokingly said, let's go in. I can't talk in front of this outlaw and kind of laughed. Well, when he finished talking to the neighbor, who is really loyal to Larry Amos, um, he came over to ask her what did the police, what did the detective say? And she said, well, he said he can't talk in front of this crook. And so once he did that, he once she said that, he filed a complaint with the Civil Service Commission, which it was the um, the hiring body or firing body of the police department at that time. And so he filed a complaint, and the captain got a reprimand put in his file. And so after then, it was like our investigation was at a standstill. And I had contacted the FBI myself and was told um, by them that there was not a lot the police could do that wouldn't seem like harassment after he had gotten a complaint after he had filed a complaint. So just the, the the detective or a uniformed officer, I'm guessing maybe probably it was a detective doing this, just because of a couple words, like the use of the word crook, got this detective, this policeman in trouble, and it made it harder for the police to really investigate Clea's disappearance because it seemed that uh, Larry Amos could now make the the case that he was being harassed for something that he had nothing to do with. Right. And, and does that – do you believe that that continues to this day, almost 23 years later, that uh, that is hampered? Or do you think that that was something that was just a, a short-term problem that eventually kind of went away? Or, I mean, how do you look back at that now? I think that's still the case. Um for me, um, everyday Joe, um, I, police can make an arrest on circumstantial evidence. Um, they can get a warrant on probable cause uh, for a flight, like he went out of town and went out of state. But because um, he had some knowledge of the law um, and then he filed a complaint, then they can't treat him like they would treat me. Yeah, it does seem sometimes that maybe suspects have more rights than families do, right? 
Uh, and he and he's not a suspect. Mm. He's just a person of interest. Person of interest. Okay. Fair enough. You had mentioned uh, when I asked you that question that uh, that once Larry Amos got back from his trip, tell the listeners uh, right after Clea disappeared what Mr. Amos did. Once again, he's just a person of interest. Uh, he's never, you know, there's not been any trial or anything else, but this is a little bit strange. What did he do? Well, um, the next morning, um, he called me and asked if she had come home and I said no. And so he went out of town to a neighboring town to check on daycare business, he said. And so later in the week, he went out of state to pay for some furniture for a tanning salon that he was going to open. And he said he had to pay cash for it. But the furniture has never been delivered, nor has the tanning salon opened. All, all, all over 20 years later. That's, nothing ever came of that at all? No. And he was gone for how many days, to your recollection? Um, the... The trip to Texas, I think, was um, about three days. And and there was a storm. I think the, the flight was held up, so he didn't make it back to town until Saturday, according uh, to him. And um, he came by. So when he got back to town, he went to the police department to give a statement. So on his way back from the police department, he came by our house. He doesn't have to pass our house, but during that time, he was coming by our house. And so I was standing outside talking to somebody, and he stopped his car. And he said, um, he asked me if, he said he had been to the police station to give his statement, and they had given him a, a, a phone number, and he gave me the piece of paper and said, you might want to call these people because their name is Smith and I don't know these people. And so I didn't call it, but I kept asking the police, you know, about the number. And so they they finally told me that it was his babysitter who had been keeping his little boy since he was a baby. So for four years, and he didn't recognize the number. Why would, why would he, what, why would he do that? Any any idea what what he was thinking? I don't know what he was thinking because um, if somebody was keeping your child, you would know their number. If they've kept your child at least four years, you would know the number when you saw it. But he didn't recognize, or the, he said he didn't recognize the number because they said their names was Smith. And and how the the number thing came up oh, while he was gone to Texas. The police went over to ask his wife if they could look in the office, and she let them look in the office, and the the officer pushed the redial button, and when he pushed the redial button, the last number was, I guess, that number, and when um, they told, when he asked who they were, they said their name was Smith. Well, they didn't know who he was, so they just said Smith, just any uh, random name, but... I ask, you know, did they expect the last number to be on an office phone, the last number to be dialed from from Monday when, yeah. she, was, when she was there? Yeah. So this was like Saturday 
or Friday, and they expected the last number to still be on there. Yeah, that's yeah. It doesn't that doesn't seem like it would be a very good lead at all to do that? All these you'd have to get on if you wanted to use a a redial button, like you you could do that. You'd have to do it the same day. I mean, especially if it's an office phone, especially if it's in a house. Yeah, he should have had. Well, he had a house phone and he had an office phone. But if he didn't leave town till Wednesday or Thursday, he should have had some more calls on that phone. Yeah, you're right. You're right. So, and then we didn't have um, in our area. We didn't have um, caller ID redial, or I don't even know exactly how they did that because we didn't have those features, star sixty nine, and all of that. We didn't have that in this area. So I'm not even sure how they even did that. I'm I'm not sure either. I'm not sure either. Has Larry Amos, uh, we're going to move on to a couple other things, but has Larry Amos to this day ever offered any condolences? Has he ever sent you a card? Has he ever called you on the phone? It, maybe not recently, but back then at the time and expressed any sympathy or, or anything for the disappearance of Clea? He said in one of his few interviews to the newspaper that he didn't have any more responsibility to clear than he would have any employee. We've tried to come uh, to his house to see the office where she worked because we'd never have, and um, he has refused. Hmm. Or he would call and leave a message and say, I'm at home, you can come over when we'd be at church because he'd know that every like Tuesday at that time we were at church. It's seven o'clock. So uh, I guess the answer to my question would probably be a no then. It would be a no. Yes. Okay. Next, and and usually I would not go into this, but I I think that we need to kind of maybe paint a picture of this guy. And we're going to talk maybe about a couple other theories uh here before this interview ends but you had an opportunity to talk to his ex-wife larry amos i'm gonna i'm gonna he's still married to the woman he was back in 1994 when clea disappeared this would have been the the wife before that you had an opportunity to talk to her how did that come about did she contact you did you find her she gave you some background, and granted, we, we know in divorces, there's his story, there's her story, then there's a real story. But explain how you got in contact with his his ex-wife, and what did she have to say? I, uh, one of my um, church members knew his first wife, and so, you know, after disappeared I'm like well you know would he be capable of doing something like this and so um, she helped arrange a meeting with the wife and we met at a little restaurant and we were sitting there she didn't have a lot to say at the beginning she said I don't know what I could tell you what we just want to know if he's capable of doing something to our daughter and so while we were sitting there talking the lady came from behind the counter and she came over to where we were sitting in the booth and said, there's a man across the street taking pictures. And so when she, so we all got up to go look out the window and the man came zooming across the street. And so 
she and I went back um, to the booth, and my husband went out to the van. And so the guy came in, went to the counter, ordered him something to eat. Then he came to the tea container that was near where we were sitting and got some tea. Then he got back in his truck and went back across the street. And so I'm just sitting there like, who is this? You know, oh, my God, you know. And so she said, oh, he's with me. And and I'm like, with you? And she's like, yeah. I didn't know if y'all were who you said you were. And I'm like, well, you've seen our picture in the paper, seen us on TV. And then she said, yeah, but I still didn't know who y'all were. And um, he is with me. With, and I'm like, with you? And she's like, yeah, he's he's taking pictures. So if something happens to me, he'll have pictures. And um, I'm like, why? And she said, because my ex-husband has threatened me because I'm trying to sue him for child support, and he's threatened to kill me. And this ex-husband would be Larry Amos. Yes. So uh, do you do you remember how long after Clea disappeared that this this meeting with the ex-wife took place? How how long after? Maybe a couple of weeks. So it's fairly close to when. So no, with less than a month after Clea disappeared, that you had this meeting. Wow. Yeah. That's that's interesting. So she was an ex-wife who was living, I guess you could say, um, in, in a little bit of fear for her life? Um, she was because when she when she left him, um, well, after the guy went back across the street, then she started telling us that he had been abusive. And uh, how she got away from him was uh, one night he came home and I guess wasn't satisfied with the dinner and threw it on the floor. And so she said he left. And in the meantime, she put a pot of boiling water on the stove. And when he came back in and I guess was saying something um, negative to her, she scalded him. And that's how she finally got away for good. Well, good for her. What did she say, if you, can, if you feel comfortable saying so in this interview, uh, I know that you had to have asked her, you know, if you th she thought that Larry Amos could have done something to Clea and, and what maybe that reason would be, being that she was married to him, some insight into the character of the man. Uh, could she offer you anything like that, if you can say? Other than the fact that she just said he was uh, abusive and um, that it was possible that he could have done something, because he, he, um, has a a way about him when somebody doesn't do things that he likes. So, um, but he told us that Cleo had worked for him and she could work for the president because she had worked for him. Like he was such a particular kind of person and she was able to work for him almost a year. That means she could work for anybody. But the wife, um, just because I'm like, well, would, he, would he be capable of doing something to our daughter? And she just said yes. And so I told the police about it, and they just said that she was a bitter, battered ex-wife. And to your knowledge, almost 23 years later, uh, the police still have that attitude, would you say? I'm not exactly sure what the attitude they have, other than the fact that they believe, I think, that she's, did. Okay.
And you found out some things about Larry Amos's current wife, too. In fact, after Clea disappeared, you, as far as I remember, you said that you had made an attempt to talk to her. And he was like, became very protective of his wife right after Clea disappeared. Um, can you talk about that? Yeah, we had, um, after she disappeared, we were trying, I guess, to talk to everybody that we could think of. And so his wife was a school teacher that, and she worked in a little neighboring town, maybe 10 minutes away from here. And so we were going to try and, um, catch her either going or coming to school to see if we could talk to her. But the last two weeks of school, he drove her back and forth to work. So we, or nobody really could talk to her. And she has not, um, and she's still married to Larry Amos, and she has not uh, made herself available to you as, do you, to your knowledge, have Back then, I guess, did she happen to talk to the police, being that she was allegedly in the house at the time that Cleo allegedly left? Do you, do you know that she was interviewed by police at all? Just to back up what her husband said about how Cleo left at 8.30 and the garage door went down, and that's the last he ever heard from Cleo. They've interviewed her. I'm not exactly sure um, what they um, discussed with her other than the fact that when they went over there, they asked to see the office where she worked, and then that's when the officer pushed the redial on the phone. And um, she didn't really, according to them, she didn't really tell them much. And as a matter of fact, when he got back to town and realized that they had been in the house, he said they weren't to come back. The the wife seems to probably maybe be in a little bit of a situation and maybe it sounds like the first wife was in. And maybe that's all we really want to say about that, that he uh, kind of dominates the relationship from what you've heard. Yes, because, I, I mean, I haven't um, spoken to her. And, you know, that's kind of strange because if somebody's child disappeared from my house as a mother, I would be doing all that I could to help them find their child, probably I would be doing more because they disappeared from my presence. You don't feel that the wife of Larry Amos has done much. In fact, she's done as little as he has. And I don't know if that's just her or at his insistence that, you know, she kind of just stay out of it. Moving up to more recently, there was some movement in this case in 2012. What can you tell the listeners about that, and how did that all come about? What I know about that is that um, a search warrant was uh, obtained um, based on some statements by some people. And in 2012, they did a search of the house although they didn't really find anything that uh, we know of, they came out with five bags. The bags were then placed in the trunk of a detective's car and went 
home with him over the weekend, and they were locked in the, in his garage. And then on Monday, uh, they were taken to the evidence locker and forgotten about for 40 days until I kept asking the chief about our evidence. And I went to a city council meeting one night and to ask the city council to do something with the police because at that time they were the boss of the police. There were no more civil service commission. And so the chief said, every Wednesday we call and check on the evidence and there's no evidence. And so it just so happened that the next day, I think one of the reporters contacted the crime lab and they said, we don't have any evidence. And that's when they realized that the evidence had not even been taken to the crime lab. And that was after 40 days. You must have lost your mind when you heard that. I, no, I didn't, but I was really uh, angry. Um, we don't have, in our in our town, we don't have um, the DA and all of that. We only have the police department and we have a sheriff's department. And we do have, like, state police. But we have to depend on the police department, and so that's all that I have. If, if I could have if had something else, um, we don't have anything to... Uh, we, we've never had a grand jury that I know about, so I don't. The only recourse that I have is the local police, and so I have to depend on them. But did that evidence eventually make its way to some laboratory somewhere? And what what did they? What was it? Was it parts of the house, or I mean, what what could they take out of the house that would have been eighteen years later that would have been a any significance? I don't know what they. Um, I don't know what they took out of the house. Um, maybe some. I don't know. I think maybe I read something about some insulation, maybe. But uh, I'm not sure what was in the five bags. And over the even to this day, but at least to 2012, have the Amoses lived in the, that house that whole time? They moved out of that house probably a couple of years after she disappeared to have some work done, and they moved into the office. And they stayed there until 2012 when uh, we had the search they were getting ready to move back in, and so they actually moved back in in April of 2012. And they live in that house to this day? Yes. So we we don't know what... You never got the results of that that those tests. You don't know if they found anything. Just to reiterate that. Well, the police just told me that they didn't find anything. Okay. I don't know if that's what the full report said. That's just what they told me. Do you have any idea of what prompted that after all this time? No, other than the getting some statements from somebody. You don't know who those people were? Could they? You have no idea at all? No. I didn't even know they were even trying to get a search warrant. Somebody called me that morning from, uh, and said that there were police cars all around the house. And so I just came 
and we we actually were like a, had to be a block away, and then after a while, we had to move even further back. So I really don't know. All right. Let's talk about. Uh, I think the listeners by this time we we've they know the direction we're going in the, in this and. Uh, the person of interest being Larry Amos and possibly his wife maybe knowing what happened. But let's just ch- talk about another possibilities. We've touched on them just a little bit, but let's go back to them for a, a little bit. Uh, let's just say the theory that she did try to call for some reason, the phone didn't ring. Maybe she dialed the wrong number. Who knows? And then she just said that, well, I might as well just walk home. Uh, is has there any been any abductions like that? Have there ever been any rumors of any other young women like your daughter disappeared in your neighborhood or surrounding cities neighborhoods like that in the last twenty plus years, or even maybe before um, Clea disappeared? Anything that comes to mind? Not that I can recall, because in uh, nineteen, even up to nineteen ninety. Let's see, it was my in '95. I'm gonna say January. They may have had um, 75 missing persons cases reported, and she was the only one that was still not accounted for. So we didn't. So the other 74 that. had had been found, or maybe they had been resolved some way. Maybe they found the person dead, or maybe the person ran away and came back. Those ones were resolved. Your daughter's was the only one. Right. Okay, so that would we had not had anything like this happen in our community before. What did the the neighbors uh, say to you? Your people that you live in your maybe across the street, next door. Um, they hopefully came over to you and offered their support. And did they have any theories or anything like that? Could they believe maybe that somebody might have driven by while Clea was driving or walking home and picked her up? Anything like that? Nobody has said anything um, to us about it. Um, our neighbors have gone on searches um, with us, but they hadn't said anything like they thought somebody might have picked her up. Mm-hmm. And they wouldn't have, my neighbors wouldn't have been able to see if somebody picked her up. And again, his neighbors said they didn't see anybody driving by. They didn't see her walking. What, um, let's say that she did try to call and you were taking a nap. For some reason, your sons didn't hear the phone ring. Let's just say hypothetically. Would Clea continue to stay there and keep trying to dial you, call you? Or would she, was there like a backup plan? Somebody that she would call to pick her up knowing that she didn't, you didn't want her to walk home. Would she have called somebody else or would she have stayed at the Amos's until you picked up the phone, if that if that ever occurred in the year that she worked for for them, just from what I think, she would have stayed there until we picked up the phone. So there's no chance that she might have called a friend of hers, and that person picked her up, and then something happened. They went somewhere, and something happened somewhere else by somebody else. Not, I can't speculate on that because yeah, I don't know. I don't know, but you would you would probably say that the possibilities 
of that are fairly low. The probability I, I of that probably pretty low. low. I wouldn't say it wasn't. I wouldn't say it wasn't um, impossible, but fairly low probability. Fairly low. Is it any possibility that maybe one of her friends just happened to come by there around the time that they knew that Clea got off of work and Clea just said, oh, there's my friend outside. I'll go jump in in a car with them, something like that. Because, you know, I was a teenager once. I'm 46 now. And, you know, friends stop by other friends' work. You know, they stop by and you have a friend that worked at McDon McDonald's or something. They don't stop by there. Nope, they, no. didn't stop, they didn't stop by there because there was the one occasion that somebody took her to work, a friend of hers, and they had the vehicle um, bagged into the yard, and he came out, Dr. Amos came out and said, and knocked on the window and said, can I help you? And so he said, this is him telling us the story, that she leaned forward and said, it's just me, Dr. Amos. And so uh, when she went in, he said, you know, I don't allow courting you know, on my property. And she said, that wasn't my boyfriend. That was just a friend. Okay. So he was, he only didn't want those types of things going on in his property. Even if, no. not, even if nothing was going on. No. Okay. So, all these years later, Laurel, what what did this do to your family? I mean, I, I mean, you were very, as you said in this interview, very protective of your kids, and then just something like this happens, just completely out of the blue. Because you should know, on Unfound, cover a lot of different kinds of disappearances. You know, some of the disappearances, yes, the person who disappeared uh, was dr a drug dealer, or you know, uh, a, a young woman living a very dangerous life hanging around with the wrong people this is not what happened in your case what did it do to your family well um it has it has really affected our family in that um my sons are um i mean they're working but uh, like my middle son that was close that was in the band with her he wanted to be an accountant he went to college two years and just decided he didn't want to do that anymore. Although I know people that have gone to college and decided they didn't want to do that, but it's it's just um, the way that um, he has um, been excuse <coughs> me over the years, and he um, took it really hard because he just kept saying the police aren't doing anything, and then. My husband, he he has a heart condition that I think has gotten worse because I think he really has a broken heart. Well, he sounded, you know, I've not had a chance to talk to him. You and I have been the only, you're the only person in your family that I've talked to. But being that you tell me that even that night he was the kind of father that would go in and to each room and open the door and make sure his sons are in bed and then make sure his daughter his daughter's bed, that tells me a lot about him right there. And I haven't even even. You know, he must be a very, very good father. And, I, you know, uh, Clea was, I'm sure, was daddy's girl. Um, so I, I have to believe that, and unfortunately, you may be right when you say that about a broken heart. Yeah, because he, um, it, he's not emotional until it comes to his children. 
and he has felt like he didn't do enough to protect her over the years. Yeah. Uh, how are your kids doing now? Your sons? They've obviously they're twenty years older now. How how are they doing, and how have they handled this in their own lives? Um, they're functioning. Um, but I'm sure you know they they've told me you know they're still you know angry. It's just they're not sure who to be angry with. Laurel, if I can ask you this, what do you think happened to your daughter? I know we have no proof of anything, but. What do you think happened? I don't know what happened to her. You know, um, I've watched all kinds of crime shows over the years, and um, and I've said to the police, you know, on television, the last person to see somebody on television is usually the prime suspect. And then you eliminate that one and move out. And they just told me that only happens on television. It doesn't work that way in real life. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what happened to her. All I know is that I dropped her off at her job, and I watched her walk in, and that was the last time I saw her. Laurel, tell listeners where they can find you. Um, you know, if you have on Facebook or, or where if you have a website or wherever, because you should know that my listeners for this program are very engaged. And in fact, uh, we did a program a couple weeks ago regarding the disappearance of uh, twin sisters who were 17 years old. They disappeared here in Florida in 1979. And uh, one of my listeners got so motivated by hearing uh, their mother's story. The mother was on there and uh, was interviewing her. Her name's Joyce. That she's this listener's taken it upon herself to bring this case that wasn't really really well known back into prominence and really been doing a lot and Joyce herself in the last couple weeks has done some things as well how can my listeners find you online how can they offer you you their support if they want to help in some way you know maybe they know something about Larry Amos maybe they know something about somebody else that might have lived in your area at the time or heard something you never just never can tell how can they find you right I am on Facebook Laurel Williams Hall and we have a, a page on Facebook, Help Find Crescender Hall. Um, and we also have a blog, org. Okay. So either one of those ways they can contact me. Okay, great. And I know that the listeners should know that Laurel has done quite a few interviews over the years, and I would urge all of you to also go to YouTube and do a search for Clashendra Hall, and you'll find some of these interviews that Laurel has done uh, that you might find you know interesting and helpful, and uh, to so you can even familiarize more than what you even heard on Unfound. Laurel, any last words uh, you'd like to say before we conclude tonight's interview? You know, I would just like to say, I know there's somebody out there with information, and they've, for 23 years, somehow withheld the information that we need. I don't know why, but I just know that um, if they believe 
in God, even if they don't, I do. And there's going to be an accountability for somebody that has held this information all this time. I don't know where she is. I'm going to believe that she's alive, that she's alive in my heart, and I'm going to believe she's alive until somebody shows me some evidence to the fact that she's not. And so until then, I'll keep searching. And it's just my desire that we find out what happened to our only daughter before our eyes closed for the last time. Laurel, thank you for being on this episode of Unfound. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. And that was my interview with Laurel Hall, mother of Clashindra Hall. I appreciate her joining me on this episode, especially since we went very quickly from us communicating on Facebook to her doing this interview. I think she does a great job representing Clea, herself, and her family. This is a case that lends itself to a lot of theorizing, despite the fact that there is a main suspect in this case, and that being Larry Amos. Usually it's the opposite. If you have a main suspect, usually the theorizing is kept to a minimum. I think the reason this is is because I don't feel like Larry Amos is as clear-cut a main suspect as we've had in other cases that Unfound has covered. For example, it's pretty clear what happened in the case of the disappearance of Jeff Nichols. His ex-wife and her father got together to murder him, frankly. Or the case of Andrea Bowman, where it's pretty clear that her adoptive father, Dennis Bowman, did something to her. Or the case of Robin Abrams, where Dennis Marquez obviously had a lot to do with her disappearance. In the disappearance of Clashindra Hall, I do not feel that Larry Amos is as strong a suspect as the suspects in those other cases. And I'll come back to that in just a few moments. What I want to first cover in this summation is something that's most important, and that is correcting the record. You'll notice that Laurel stated that there were no other employees there that night at Larry Amos's house. The friend that said she was there, she wasn't. This has been clearly established, and if you read any accounts or hear any other programs regurgitating that fact that there was a co-worker there, please let that host or person know that is not true. So this talk about how Clea said she was going to walk home, it never happened. The only people there that night were Clea, Larry Amos, his wife, and his son. As for what caught my ear during this interview, I'm going to combine this with some theorizing of my own. One in which Larry Amos should be the main suspect in the disappearance of Clashindra Hall, and another where I think it could show that maybe somebody else was responsible for her disappearance. So these are things you should think about as you mull over Clashindra's disappearance. What caught my ear about Larry Amos and what makes me think that he is guilty in this disappearance was how quickly he picked up his office phone at 12.45 a.m. We've all gotten late-night calls, and we know that they are rarely good news. Rarely. But Laurel's call was to the office, not his home. 
So why did Amos pick up? It's a little hard to understand because what it means, and you'll go back, if you go back and listen to what she said, he picked up on the first ring, which means he was awake, which means he was sitting right beside the phone, which also means he was sitting in his office. All of those points seem strange to me. So why did he pick up the phone? I think there's a perfectly good reason why he picked up the phone, because he knew if he didn't pick up the phone, I mean, he knew who was calling. It's 1245 in the morning. He knows what he's done. He knows that some hours before, something happened between him and Klesindra, and he had to get rid of her. And he has to obviously know at some point, Mr. or Mrs. Hall is going to call. Why does he pick up the phone at 1245? Because he knows if he doesn't pick up the phone, after that phone stops ringing, the next thing he is going to hear is a banging on his front door. And he does not want the halls to come over to his house. Because if they come over, he's going to have to answer the door. They're going to ask where their daughter is. He's going to say, well, she left at 830, and they're probably not going to take his word for it because they're standing right there. There's going to probably be an argument. Mr. Hall in particular is probably going to want to go inside and search the house. Larry Amos isn't going to let him. 911 is going to get called. A cop is showing is going to show up. And we know at that point the cop is going to say, okay, here's how we're going to resolve this. I'm going to go inside and take a look around and see if I see anything suspicious. Larry Amos cannot afford that. That's why he picked up the phone. In fact, he was probably sitting by that phone since probably 8.30 that night. He was probably actually stunned that it took the halls that long to call. And, of course, we know the reason that it took that long is because Laurel fell asleep. Had she not fallen asleep, I'm sure the calls would have started around 9 p.m. or 9.30 p.m. And even then, Larry Amos would have picked up on the first ring. Unfortunately for the Halls, that it took them that long to call Larry Amos, it made his story that Clea left at 8.30 that harder to disprove. The problem with that scenario, as much as it makes factual and logical sense, is that a motive is hard to pin down. Yes, he was shady, and Klesindra knew it. She told her mother about how she'd written some checks to people that she probably shouldn't have. Well, I'm guessing that anybody who worked for Larry Amos knew that his business practices were not totally legal. The difference is those people, to my knowledge, none of them disappeared, but Klesindra did. So it's hard to say that he was, she was made to disappear because of something she found out. I mean, if that was the case, then all of Larry Amos's employees would have disappeared. Could Clea have threatened him? Could she have said something like, you shouldn't withhold this money from these daycare centers just because they can't get their paperwork right? If you do that, continue to do that, I'm going to tell the police or the federal agency that handles this. I suppose, but I get the feeling, at least the way that Laurel communicated it, was that Clea wasn't really that bothered by it. I'm not saying she was a party to it, she was just doing what she was told. She was going to grind it out for a couple more weeks. She was going to move on to this internship in Boston, and she would have put Larry Amos far in the rearview mirror. I don't think that her 
morality or her ethics were a threat to what Larry Amos was doing at all. And I don't hold that against her. I probably would have been the same way. Okay, the guy's cutting corners here and there. What are you going to do? So I don't think that Larry Amos had anything to fear from Klesindra regarding that part of his life. So what else could it be? Could he have attempted to rape her? And she fought back. He had to kill her. There's something about that that doesn't ring true either. She worked for him for a year. She never said anything to her mother about any sexual advances or any, you know, X-rated comments or anything that ever came out of Larry Amos's mouth. I don't know if that means that it never happened or not. But I also know that she was doing well in school. And usually for women, if they are being sexually harassed or they are being sexually abused, you can usually see that it's happening in other ways. Being depressed, if they are going to school, their grades go down, uh, they seem to be angry all the time, and it doesn't seem that Klesindra was like that at all. I don't think that anything like that was going on uh, at her workplace working for Larry Amos, as far as we can tell once again from the outside. Well, maybe it was some sort of voluntary relationship, sexual relationship that she had with Larry Amos. And, of course, if that's the case, Klesindra wouldn't be the first woman to disappear who is having an affair with a married man. It's a very common scenario, but I think the same kind of rules apply, that there's no proof of that at all, anywhere. So it's complete speculation. In fact, it's not even theorizing. It's just guessing. So given all of that, you can understand why I feel like Larry Amos isn't as good a prime suspect in this case as some of the other prime suspects in cases that Unfound is covered. What that means is we have to open our minds to other possible scenarios, even though we still have to keep Larry Amos as the prime suspect in this case. As for another possible scenario, I think back to what Laurel thought when she discovered that Clea wasn't at home that night. Her first knee-jerk reaction was that Clea was out on the town somewhere, probably with some of her friends, and she was expressing her independence. She was going to be graduating soon. She was going to be going to Boston anyway, where she was going to be off by herself or with other teenagers like herself for this internship. And she thought, Laurel thought, that maybe this was a night that Clea thought that, hey, I'm going to go out in the town. There's nothing my parents can do about it. What if that's true? What if Clea had gotten to the point in her life where she was going to be moving out of the house anyway, and she figured, well, hey, how much trouble can I really get in? I realized the kind of life she had lived to that point, very disciplined, very good life, very moral life. But she was 18. She was a teenager. She has friends. She has aspirations. She maybe has peer pressure, all of these other things. And Laurel and her husband did a great job raising her. But at some point, kids are going to go off and do their own things. That's just the way it is. Maybe this was that night. Because what seems strange to me about that night, as far as the facts go, was that call that Clea made home at 8 o'clock where she had called and asked if anybody had called for her. I get the impression from the interview that Laurel's answer was no. None of her friends had called for her. 
Maybe some had. But either way, even if the answer had been yes, what could have Clea done about that? It wasn't like her tough boss, Larry Amos, was going to allow her to call any of her friends and sit there on the phone while she was supposed to be working, right? Of course not. So why would she have called and done something like that? She, couldn't she have just waited until her mother picked her up at 8.30 or quarter to 9 or 9 o'clock to find out? Because she wouldn't have been able to do anything about friends calling until then anyway. In fact, I wonder if Larry Amos even knew that Clea made that phone call home. Because once again, he seems like a tough guy. If you can work for me, you can work for anybody. He was known as being cheap. Uh, Clea said that about him. He doesn't seem like the kind of guy that would have allowed her to just make a frivolous phone call home just to find out if any of her friends had called her. Telling me that he probably wasn't around when she made that call. Meaning that it's very possible that in those minutes where she called home and found out that no friends of her called, could it be that after she hung up the phone, she did call one of her friends about going out that night? Getting away with it, why? Because Larry Amos, maybe he was on the other side of the house, maybe he was in the bathroom, and she was arranging something to do after her work was over that she didn't want her parents to know about. I'll go even further, and I start thinking about how she wanted to get to work early that day. Remember, they went over there at 2.30 and nobody was home. And if you'll remember, Laurel said, yeah, that was fairly unusual, but it was unusual that day because the seniors of that class had been let out early for some reason. And the, I guess the rest of the grades were not let out early. So she could go over to Amos's early, and maybe she was thinking, I get my work done early, I can go out with my friends because I have these plans tonight, and then I won't have to miss any work. I won't have to cut back on my hours because I'll get to do the work now. I wonder. And so when Mrs. Amos called at 5 o'clock, Clea's thinking, well, I still want to go out tonight, but I know that I have to go to work as well. So she figures, I'm going to go to work, going to do what I have to do, but then when work is over, I'm going out with my friends. That's just the way it is. And before you start saying, well, Larry Amos's story changed, and we have to pick one of two things. If you think that he is a suspect in the disappearance of Clashindra Hall, then don't believe a word he says. However, if you are going to entertain a different scenario that something else happened to Clashindra, somebody else caused her to disappear, then you have to accept what he said. But what he's never wavered from was that she left right around 8.30. So the call at home at 8 might have been to kind of try to figure out if the plans for that night had been changed. And then right after that, she hangs up, calls one of her friends once again before Larry Amos comes back into the office and arranges to be picked up because they were almost done with their work that they were doing. Remember, she was retyping a letter or taking dictation for a letter that Larry Amos wanted done. 8.30 gets there, the friend shows up, she goes out the door, just like she always does, Larry Amos has no idea what car she's getting into. Because one way or another, if you're going to accept another scenario besides Larry Amos causing Clashindra to disappear, how was the pickup 
of Clea arranged. It had to have been done by phone. There wasn't email. There wasn't texting. There wasn't anything like that. It had to be the good old-fashioned way, calling somebody. And maybe that call happened right after she called home because she had that little time frame where he wasn't around that she could call somebody else, somebody that she probably wouldn't be allowed to call if he was in the office. The problem with this scenario is that it has flaws just like the theory that Larry Amos caused the disappearance of Clea has flaws. The flaw is that, according to Laurel, Larry Amos knew that Clea had made that call at 8 o'clock where she had asked whoever answered the phone, whether it was her brother or Laurel, she asked if anybody had called. So there might not have been a window where she was alone that she could have called a friend and talked to that friend about picking her up when Larry Amos wasn't in the room. And I also have to say that Larry Amos knew about this call that Clea made at 8 o'clock. It surprises me because of the way that Larry Amos has been portrayed as a no-nonsense, very tough boss, cheap guy. When his employees are there, they can't be doing anything else. But here she was using the phone well before she was going to have to be going home that night. Nevertheless, I think that we have to keep our minds open to the idea that Larry Amos didn't do this and that Clea left Larry Amos's residence with somebody else that night. What this all means to the investigation of this disappearance and trying to jumpstart it again is I would look to see what her friends have done with their lives since May 1994. I would see if any of them, both men and women, have had any problems with the law, specifically violent crimes. That might be a good place to start if we're going to entertain the idea that somebody other than Larry Amos caused Clashindra Hall to disappear. The rest of the theorizing, I will leave up to you. And that's the end of the program. If you wish to discuss this case with anybody, with myself, with other listeners, or Laurel herself, please go to Facebook and find the Unfound Podcast discussion group. If you like this episode, please go to iTunes and give it a five-star review. Thank you for listening. I'm Ed Denzel, and you've been listening to Unfound. Thank you.